0: Welcome to the Evolutionary Androgen Podcast. I'm Charlotte Alea and I am on a quest for the stories that reveal to us our evolutionary potential. I search folklore throughout time and from around the globe that hold the keys to transform humanity's current crisis from fractured and separated to whole and healed. As we unify feminine with masculine, a new version of us is emerging. Talking about truth these days is a tricky, sticky subject. It's an era of cultural truth wars where anyone with a stage, microphone, or audience gets to claim that they hold the truth. So how do we even define or determine what is true? I admit I felt some trepidation even bringing up this subject. How do I talk about truth when truth has become such a cultural buzzword? How do I talk about truth in a way that doesn't make you, the listener, either tune out, roll your eyes, or get really pissed off? But I am going to talk about truth because as we take this next step, we enter into the turquoise ray of truth. Think of every step we take on our evolutionary path as one ray of a rainbow. So here's where I landed. I'm not going to debate what is true in this world. There are certainly institutions that hold cultural sway over quote-unquote, the truth, and I'm not going to argue for or against what they claim either. Rather, I'd like to propose something radically different, that truth cannot be defined by an external source of authority at all, but may only be discovered and claimed from within. Only through lived experience of getting to know ourselves, through trial and error, and thus getting to know the world around us as a reflection of ourselves, do we truly get to know the truth. Truth is a paradox. It is both subjective and a universal phenomenon. Multiple truths can exist at once that completely contradict each other, because this is what it means to exist within a multi-dimensional reality. Reality shifts and changes based on our own perceptions, thought forms, desires, and beliefs. Who am I to define someone else's reality for them? I can't. Therefore. I must honor your truth as your truth, even if it is different from my own. Being paradoxical is one tenet of what defines truth, at least for me. Here are three more. One, truth propagates no harm. Two, Truth neither requires nor begets validation. Three, truth keeps us accountable to our actions and choices. That last tenet about accountability is really important. So let's explore that aspect of truth more deeply through perhaps the most common and powerful mythic arcs in existence on Earth. The myth of the Great Flood. Wikipedia counts that there are over 70 versions of the flood myth told worldwide, and that is only Wikipedia. There are actually hundreds of versions of this myth known worldwide. Unknown? Likely in the thousands. The flood myth has been told in indigenous cultures throughout North, Central, and South America, including the Cree, Hopi, and Inuit tribes, as well as in ancient Mayan, Aztec, and Incan civilizations. It has been recorded in the oldest creation myths known to human civilizations from Mesopotamia and the Middle East. It is in the Bible. It has been told throughout Africa, Asia, Oceania, and the Pacific Islands, India, China, Greece, and the Celtic lands of Ireland and Wales. It is difficult to find an indigenous culture that does not have a flood myth. The myth does vary culture to culture, and the major arc of the story goes like this A powerful supernatural being, either a god, group of gods or a demon decide to wipe out humanity by creating a great deluge of water across the planet. This god group of gods or demon is angry with humanity, believing that they have gravely messed up and perhaps have become sinful or created too much damage and chaos upon the earth to continue. However, News of this plan leaks out, either by a benevolent god or by accident, and it leaks out to one or more people. This lucky person then builds a large boat to survive the coming deluge. The man boards him and his wife, or in some versions of the story, representatives from all the different species of creatures... And in other versions of the story, a family or specific members of the tribe. So they all load upon the large boat. A great deluge of rain follows. For six days and six nights, the skies open and fury is released from above. Lightning strikes, the land floods, and everything and everyone except the lucky few aboard the boat are turned to clay or stone. On the seventh day, the rain ceases and the waters calm. Their survivors upon the boat find land. They pray to their god or gods and spread across the planet to begin repopulating the earth once again. It could also be said that this mythic arc has even deeper roots within the myths of Atlantis and Lemuria, civilizations that predate any of which we have quote unquote scientific proof. The myths of both Atlantis and Lemuria tell of these civilizations being sunk deep beneath the ocean, lost within a great deluge when the oceans rose before the last ice age. Even though science will not confirm the existence of Lemuria or Atlantis, archaeologists are constantly discovering ruins of cities and civilization beneath the ocean, and if that isn't evidence of these lost lands, I don't know what is. But, as I stated at the forefront of this episode, I am not here to argue what is or is not true. However, the dominance and similarity of this myth worldwide does lead one to question the extreme possibility that a certain percentage of humanity did experience and survive floods of cataclysmic global proportions. One question I ponder is are all these myths referencing the same flood? Or were there multiple floods throughout Earth and human history that wiped out the majority of life upon land? Another question I ponder is what were the human wrongdoings that caused the forces of higher power to create the flood in the first place? These are both questions that I believe are relevant to us today because. If it happened to humanity in the past and we didn't learn our lesson, it could happen again. It very well may be in the process of happening when we look around our world at the catastrophic destruction and damage humanity has created to our ecosystems. Oceans are rising. Weather patterns are shifting. Perhaps Mother Earth wants to show us what she's got and teach us Yet another lesson. There is a word for this phenomenon. It's called karma. Karma is actually a Hindu term, meaning one's actions in one life will determine the form of one's life in the next. What this basically amounts to is what goes around comes around. The law of cause and effect Every action creates a corresponding reaction or consequence of the same weight. If your actions cause damage to the planet, you are going to reap the consequences of that damage in either this lifetime or a lifetime or decade even to come. So another word we could use to describe this would be justice. That when karma plays itself out, truth is revealed and justice is served. The laws of the universe will always keep us accountable for our actions. Planet Earth will reveal to us the truth of what we have done and hold us accountable for our actions and the damage we have caused. There is another word in the English language that is relevant here. Fate, which basically means that the present and future you create for yourself are determined upon the patterns of the past. In essence, history has a tendency to repeat itself. And this is not good news for us. We don't want to get stuck in a fate loop, but it doesn't look good, does it? The proliferation of flood myths seems to be telling us that we have driven ourselves smack dab in the middle of another loop. We have not resolved our fate by making different global choices. We have not made ourselves accountable to our actions. Okay, let's step it back. This is getting kind of intense, right? It seems as though I have gone on quite a tangent here of global proportions. While it is true that the flood myth may be a literal lesson for our times, it is also a metaphorical lesson about karma and fate. On a deeper level, I believe this story is a warning about what happens when we refuse to face our shadows, when we refuse to be in a state of truth with ourselves. The divine feminine archetype of the turquoise ray is the judge. This is not an archetype that we want to personally identify with. That could impose dangerous ego inflation. Rather, the judge is a hidden part of us, an aspect of our soul or immortal being that is woven into the whole of the universe, which keeps us accountable and true to our actions. Our inner judge always holds the truth, even when we are lying to ourselves, even when we're in denial. She is the deliverer of justice and karma. We cannot escape her as much as we'd like because we are her. And yet this aspect of ourselves is something that we cannot control. In order to come into good relationship with our inner judge, we can learn to embody the divine masculine archetype of the turquoise ray, the challenger. The challenger asks us to question our past actions and challenges us to make different choices which align with our truth. To illustrate this point, I have another story to share with you. This is the myth of Isis and the seven scorpions. The story is a short offshoot within the longer mythic arc of Isis and Osiris that I shared in the last two episodes. And it takes place after Isis has left the care and raising of her son Horus with some handmaids for his own protection. She falls into a state of grief over this separation with her son, and she disguises herself as a beggar woman in rags once again and travels to a village hoping to live off the kindness of strangers. For her protection, the goddess Selket has sent seven scorpions to follow Isis in case any danger comes of her. These are the same seven scorpions that helped Isis escape Set's dungeon, Set and his minions are still looking for her and would put her back in that dungeon if they found her. Upon the first home Isis comes to, she is met by the woman of the house who has a small child in her arms at the door. Isis asks if the woman might be able to spare her a place to sleep and some food in exchange for weaving or housekeeping. The woman is horrified by the state of Isis' lowly appearance. She does not want a poor beggar woman anywhere near her home or her child and slams the door in her face. Isis knew this may happen and moves on to the next house where she is met by another woman with children. And she makes the same offer, and this woman, more kindly than the first invites Isis in, gives her a bed and some bread to eat, and Isis rests for the night. However, Selkhet's seven scorpions are not at rest. They are greatly offended by the way their lady, the great goddess Isis, has been treated, and they believe they must defend her reputation by seeking vengeance upon this woman. They scurry over to the woman's house, crawl beneath the windowsill of her son's nursery, find the boy sleeping in his bed, and sting him almost to death. Upon this, the woman wakes up lights a flame, and screams at the horror show happening to her son. She runs outside her home, screaming and yelling, Please, somebody help! My son has just been stung by scorpions! Isis awakes and recognizes what has just happened. She runs over to the woman's house and finds Selkhead's seven scorpions surrounding the boy, holding him in a deep coma on the edge of death. Isis commands each of the seven scorpions to withdraw its poison within the boy using words of power. These words of power are the true names of the scorpions. Tefen and Bethen, Mestet and Meseteteth, Petet, Thetet, and Matet, as she speaks aloud each name of the seven scorpions, they obey their goddess and withdraw their poison. The goddess's true identity is revealed, and she apologizes greatly to the woman whose son was almost killed on her behalf. The woman apologizes in return, having not realized a goddess has stood upon her doorstep. She offers Isis shelter and food, which the goddess accepts, and all is resolved in peace. Let's look at the layers of this story to learn the lessons it offers us in this discussion on truth. We can begin by reading the seven scorpions that follow Isis as her inner protectives that live within her shadow. Her shadow being her unconscious, the hidden aspects of her. When something happens that emotionally triggers us, we will often lash out or react in some way from our shadow or, to put it another way, from an unconscious part of ourselves. This is called a defense mechanism, and Isis has a very powerful defensive team at her back. Isis is offended by the rejection of the first woman she meets, but she doesn't allow herself to admit she feels offended. She is hiding from the truth. So her shadow then acts out and sends its defensive forces to act on her behalf. The shadow archetype of the turquoise ray is called the chosen one. This is the part of us that believes we are special and set apart in the eyes of God. That we deserve special circumstances and are immune from consequences of justice. This is the part of us that wants to stay in denial, that we have dark thoughts, that we have destructive emotions and a shadow side in general. I love how Isis, a goddess herself, so someone we may believe is perfect, special, and immune to a shadow side, totally illustrates the shadow of the chosen one. Her shadow does believe she should be treated special and better than others, despite the fact that she is dressed in rags. So Isis does not act in truth with herself, and therefore reaps the consequences of her shadow lashing out and causing harm. Once she learns the truth about the harm that her shadow, the seven scorpions, are causing, she is then able to bring truth forward to correct the situation. She embodies the challenger. And here is how she does it. She names her shadows for exactly what they are. She shines the light of truth upon them, exposing their true nature. Each of the scorpions, her shadows, retreat when she calls them out. They withdraw their harm and make amends. Our shadows have no power over us or anyone else Once we shine the light of truth upon them, once we essentially call it out for what it is. What the lesson of this story also reveals to us is that truth is not just a concept or a state of being. It is a state of doing. There are true and false statements, but there are also true and false actions. When Isis's scorpions lash out on her behalf, causing harm, this was a false action because it was instigated from a state of hiding from the truth. If we have been making choices from a place of hiding our truth, once that truth is exposed, justice, via our inner judge, will demand that we make amends and correct our actions, just as Isis promptly does. So let's bring these lessons and insights back to our original narrative arc of the Great Flood. Oftentimes, the story is told from the perspective that the gods are angry with humanity. Humanity must be punished for their sinful actions. And this is quite a judgmental as well as hierarchical perspective upon the laws of spiritual justice. There is a separation between humanity and the gods as well as a disproportionate balance of power. Humans are at the mercy of the gods' fury and violence against them. They have no choice but to surrender to these gods, hand over their power, and do as they say. What if we were to read the story of the Great Flood without all that language of separation, power, and punishment? What if the story were to go something more like this? The higher consciousness of humanity warns humans worldwide that their violent and destructive actions upon the earth will have grave consequences. The higher consciousness warns humanity by seeding a story of a great flood within their collective cultural mythos. The story tells of a great deluge caused by shifted weather patterns that will wipe out much of humanity and creature kind. The message from this higher consciousness meets a few who learn of the truth of their actions and refuse to hide from the truth any longer. They desire to make amends so that fate does not play out and a different form of justice may prevail. However, much of humanity refuses to listen to the truth. Despite the warnings, they continue to hide from their shadows and refuse to admit to the harm and destruction they are causing. They see no personal need to make amends. Life is easier by staying in denial. Humanity is split. One faction knows of the coming deluge and has made personal amends for their past false choices. They have stepped out of the cycles of fate and resolved their personal karma. The other faction refuses to face the consequences of the past or see the truth in their shadows and will soon be at the mercy of fate and karma. Because the majority of humanity has not made amends, the minority cannot stop the deluge from coming. However, living in truth has allowed this minority to know the truth of their soul and immortality and to ascend to higher consciousness. The truth acts as a great boat, keeping them afloat upon the seas of justice, stopping them from drowning in the depths, the darkness, and forgetfulness of fate and karma like everyone else. The memory and consciousness within this minority survive the flood. They carry the story of the flood forward for the civilizations to come. As this minority repopulate the earth, the souls that drowned in forgetfulness, untruth, and karma are reborn into new bodies. Unless these newly born become conscious of their fate, of the truth that they had hidden from themselves in past lifetimes, they will repeat it. Therefore, the elders tell the story of the great flood. They pass it down from generation to generation in hopes that fate will not repeat itself yet again. Personally, I like this version of the story much better, so I thank you for humoring me and taking some creative license. I'm going to leave this story for you to digest on your own without picking it apart any further, but I am going to drop some inquiries your way. First, take a moment to think about what is going on in your life that you do not like. What feels off to you? Where are you in misalignment with living a life that feels right and true for you? Now consider what caused this to happen. How is this a consequence to something? And was it something you did? Someone else? What part did you play? How can you From a place of self-empowerment, own this consequence. This is not about spiritual bypassing. I don't want you to start blaming yourself here or taking responsibility for something that isn't yours or owning something that you're not ready to make yours. But I do want you to look more deeply at what shadows you might be hiding from yourself that are affecting your life or the world around you, in a negative way. As I shared at the top of this episode, truth is discovered in the lived experience of getting to know oneself through trial and error. We all err. It is what makes us human. We all hide nasty things we don't want to admit from ourselves. None of us are immune to a shadow. It is by erring and reclaiming our shadows that we get to know what truth really is. So if nothing is resonating yet, or if you're getting pissed off by this inquiry, look at an area of your life where taking personal responsibility actually feels good. What actions of the past were in misalignment? How did you act untruthfully towards yourself or others which is having an impact today. Take a moment and own that shadow. Name it. Say it aloud. Reclaim its power as your truth. Become the loving challenger of your shadows by becoming accountable towards your own actions. Here's an example. I did not admit back then that blank, fill in the truth that you kept hidden from yourself. And I now see that it caused blank, fill in the consequence. How does reclaiming that truth shift the way that you feel? And how might reclaiming the power from that truth shift you into new choices and new action that will create different consequences in the future. We'll be back next month for a different story from a different part of the world as we journey to the sapphire ray of beauty. You have been listening to The Evolutionary Androgen, A Mythic Quest with me, Charlotte Alea, If you liked this episode, we hope you'll consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for tuning in.